Our scripture reading today is found in Psalm 118, beginning with the 19th verse. Let us hear the word of God. The psalmist writes, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, and the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and, be, and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the Bible, Psalm 118 is referred to as a, a Hallel psalm. It is one of six Hallel psalms that were, were recited by the Jewish people during Passover and other major Jewish festivals. The Jewish worshipers would recite Psalm 113 through 114 at the beginning of the worship service, then Psalm 115 to 118 toward the end of the service. Hallel psalms were sung to celebrate the deliverance and restoration of Israel from Egyptian slavery. One of, the con of our congregation's favorite traditions sung at the Easter worship service, or at the end of the service, I should say, is the Hallelujah Chorus. Everyone knows that. Tom, Jay, and the choir faithfully lead us in singing the Hallelujah Chorus, along with several covenant partners who usually join them. I haven't joined them yet, but I will someday. Perhaps like you, it is a highlight of the morning for me, a highlight of the worship service. You know what the word Alleluia means. The word hallelujah comes from the Hebrew words hallel, or praise, and yah, or Yahweh, or God, or the Lord. The word hallelujah means literally praise the Lord. Psalm 118, verses 1 through 2, opens with a call to worship and is often used during Easter worship services as a call to worship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The call to worship continues in the second verse. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. The Hebrew word for God's steadfast love or loving kindness is hesed. Hesed means loving, kind, and faithful. Our God is real and he is loving, kind, and faithful, and his enduring love survived the frequent unfaithfulness of the Jewish people. God established a covenant with Abram and his descendants, and God faithfully kept his covenant no matter what. When Israel turned away from God in sin, God did not destroy them. He disciplined them frequently and redeemed them and restored them. So right at the beginning of Psalm 118, the psalmist identifies Israel as the recipient of God's salvation and restoration, 
and calls Israel to give thanks and praise for the salvation and restoration from danger and potential disaster they receive from God whose love endures, whose steadfast love endures forever and ever. But how did the Israelites give God thanks and praise according to Psalm 118? Listen to Psalm 118, verses 4 through 14 through 15. Excuse me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. They sang songs of faith together. They sang songs of faith that praise God for his steadfast love, for his loving kindness and his mercy. In the midst of their adversities, in the midst of their troubles, in the midst of their unfaithfulness, the Jewish people discovered that they can trust God and his steadfast love who saves and restores them and promises never to leave them, no matter what. In Psalm 118, verse 22, the psalmist writes, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. When the psalmist wrote these words, he had in mind, he was thinking of Israel as the stone that the builders that's the ruling nations of the day, rejected. Because in that day, Israel was tiny, helpless, hopeless. But in Matthew 21, beginning with the 33rd verse, Jesus told the parable of the tenants. In the parable, you recall this, the master planted a vineyard, leased it to the tenants, and sent his servants to collect the fruits or a part of the fruit or the harvest. The master finally sent his son whom the tenants killed. Jesus asked what the master would do with these tenants, and the chief priests and elders replied, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to the other tenants who will give them the fruits in their seasons. Then Jesus said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. In that verse, Jesus was referring to himself as the rejected stone who was made the cornerstone. The builders were the religious leaders, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees, and others. This verse, this one verse, points to Jesus, who is not only our cornerstone, but is the one who died on the cross to save us from our sins and rose from the grave so that we all could have hope. Hope when, someone we, hope when we lose someone to death, hope when our lives are falling apart, hope when we lose our job, hope when our marriages fall apart or our friends turn their backs to us. Because of our risen Lord Jesus, we have hope in this life of faith we live and live and can live in a new life and sing a new song. A new song that sings and gives God thanks and praise to God for his enduring steadfast love he has shown us. So how does this song of songs shape our faith? Well, it reminds us that we have a singing faith. I think you will find this exceedingly impossible 
but I'm going to ask you to try anyway. Try to imagine a worship service without singing, without music. Tom's up there going, gulp. (laughs) Told you, you couldn't do it. For you see, our faith was born in music. In the early church, singing was always an integral part of worship. There are lots of fragments of hymns found throughout the New Testament. The medieval church, the Reformation, the Wesleyan revivals were all inseparably tied to music. In this country, the moving Negro spirituals kept the black soul alive. Gospel singing followed the line of the frontier from the Appalachians to the Pacific. In the present day, from Pentecostal to Presbyterian, we discover a wide variety of worship styles. It is music that often forms the central focus of an incredible diversity of churches. Music, we easily discover, is the natural expression of our creativeness. In its simplest form of animal life, we discover music and rhythm. So for a moment, spare me some time. I'm going to share my animal scientist with you for a little bit. Drumming created by beating the feet is used by prairie hens, rabbits, and mice. The head is banged by woodpeckers and certain other birds. The males of death watch beetles make a rapid ticking sound by percussion of a protuberance of the abdomen against the ground. Fish make sounds, I never knew this for a long time, by clicking their teeth, blowing air and drumming with special muscles against tuned inflated air bladders. The proboscis of the death's head hawk moth, try saying that five times in a row, is used as a kind of reed instrument, blown through to make high-pitched reedy notes. Gorillas beat their chest in rhythmic discourse. Animals with loose skeletons rattle them, or like rattlesnakes, get sounds from externally placed structures. Turtles, alligators, crocodiles, and even snakes make even more various or less vocal sounds. Leeches, yuck have been heard to tap rhythmically on leaves, engaging the intention of other leeches, which tap back in, in synchrony. For even worth or earthworms make sounds, faint staccato notes in regular clusters. Toads sing to each other, and their friends sing back to them. Have I made my point? And I haven't even dug into the birds yet. In the simplest forms of created life, we discover singing and music and rhythm. One of the most prominent theologian musicologists of our day is Eric Routley, a British man, and he makes the suggestion that early human beings sang before they even spoke. Routley reasons that nightingales, for example, that who have never learned to speak, but speak, but they can sing. Routley suggests that the biological origin of song is well-being, a happiness which cannot be contained in silent peace, and must emerge in some form of music. All this to say is that singing is an integral part of our created beings, our voices being a small part of the combined music of the sphere. Music is not only a natural but a powerful expression of our faith. Are you aware of the power of sound? High-frequency ultrasonic sound is used without water or detergent 
to clean materials. If sufficiently concentrated, somewhat like a laser beam, sound can be absolutely destructive. A ball of cotton will ignite. An insect will disintegrate. Parents might pass on this tidbit of information regarding the power of sound. I could see you doing this this afternoon when the stereo will be blaring in your child's room. You will say, the preacher Scott Simpson told us today that high decibel level sound can cause psychological disorientation and make it impossible to think logically. And all I can see is, is Junior looking up with a question mark in his eyes saying, what? What did you say? Music has great power, both negative and positive. Are we aware of the power available if we sing our faith? Some say Martin Luther's most powerful contribution in the Reformation was his hymn singing. His critics commented that Luther destroyed more souls with his hymns than all his sermons and prayers combined together. These are the words of Luther himself. I wish to see all arts, principally music, in the service of him who gave and created them. I would not for the world forget, forego my humble share of music. Singers are never sorrowful but are merry and smile through their troubles in song. Music makes people kinder and gentler and reasonable. I am strongly persuaded that after theology, there is no art that can be placed on a level with music. For besides theology, music is the only art capable of affording peace and joy of the heart. The devil flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. If you are facing a terrible problem, perhaps you cannot even pray, try singing. You will make the discovery that in singing, you have actually prayed. Depressed, feeling helpless or hopeless, feeling tiny, then pick up a hymnal and sing. Music is the spiritual response to being filled by God's Holy Spirit. You may have noticed in the call to worship from Ephesians today, we hear Paul advising the Ephesians of his day to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in, in your hearts to God. Perhaps the advice from this apostle was unnecessary, for as one writer puts it, music arises from hearts of faith as naturally as steam arises from a pot of water on the stove. We have a singing faith because we have a singing God. How difficult is it for you to imagine Almighty God in the act of singing? I must confess that this was one I had to stretch my imagination, wrap my head around this, but the more I thought about it, the more true it became. We cannot imagine a worship service without singing. Likewise, it should be hard to imagine God without singing. My favorite theologian, C.S. Lewis, presents this image in his magician's nephew of Aslan, the lion as the Christ figure. The most beautiful description of Aslan is that of a singing lion. Two children, including several other people, witness the creation of Narnia. In the darkness, something 
was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could hardly bear it. The voice on the earth was now louder and more triumphant, but the voices in the sky, after singing loudly with it for a time, began to get fainter. They made you feel excited until you saw the singer himself. Then you forgot everything else. It was a lion, huge, shaggy, and bright. It stood facing the risen sun. Its mouth was wide open in song, and it was about 300 yards away. And as he walked and sang, the valley grew green with grass. It spread out from the lion like a pool. It ran up the sides of the little hills like a wave. Soon there were other things besides grass. The slopes grew dark with heather. And when he burst into a rapid series of lighter notes, she was not surprised to see primroses suddenly appearing in every direction. But those who do not know Aslan do not find a singing lion, but they instead find a roaring lion. Do you see a singing lion in your journey of faith or a roaring lion? We have a singing faith because we have a singing father. God the Father sings, says the prophet Zephaniah. He will, call, he will sing for joy over the restoration of his people. We have a singing faith because we also have a singing Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a new discovery for me. Jesus probably sang on earth when he read the scriptures in the synagogue, for it was the custom to chant the scriptures when reading in public. The gospel writer Matthew tells us that Jesus sang at the institution of the Lord's Supper. After they sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ is also singing today. The second chapter of Hebrews, beginning with the 10th verse, tells us that in our, pra- in our presence, Jesus sings praises to God. If we were to actually realize that Christ not only listens to us, but sings with us as well, we just might sing differently, I think, in our worship service. We have a singing faith, lastly, because we have a singing Holy Spirit. We are to make melody in our hearts to the Lord, says Ephesians 5. The Spirit enables us to sing with grace in our hearts, and he too sings with us when we sing, helping us to sing acceptably to God with our inner voice, and I need all that help I could get. Singing and making music in our hearts to the Lord is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We are a singing people with a singing faith, and we have a singing God who has created this urge within us. Bob asked this question last week. I don't know if you remember it, but it sounds like this. What's on your playlist? What do we sing? Is it hymns? So what hymns do we pick? What should we sing in praise and thanksgiving to God for what he has done for us In our Lord Jesus Christ, what is your new song? Earlier I said that hymn texts are found throughout the Bible, in the New Testament, also in the Old, but I emphasize that the Bible is curiously silent about the particular type of music that should be used. 
It's my belief, my firm conviction that this omission is absolutely deliberate. God takes delight, I think, that through our our theme, though our theme remains the same, there are infinite musical variations that we can praise him. Not rigid conformity, but infinite and creative variety. Are you an advocate of the mighty reformed hymns of our tradition? Then you need to stretch in the direction of revivalist hymns of our heritage. Are you locked into music that has been composed after 1920? Then I say dig into the past and cultivate an appreciation of another type of musical praise. The rabbits are drumming their feet. The woodpeckers are rhythmically banging their heads. The turtles are singing their songs. The apes are beating their chests. The fish are clicking their teeth. The meadowlarks are practicing their melodies. Everyone has their individual part, and you and I are included. If we could all listen to the great music of this sphere all at once, this immense ensemble, then we might become aware of the counterpoint and the balance of tones. We might become aware of the need to us, of us to sound our parts. In a majestic symphony of sound, a great symphony of sound to God. Peter Schaeffer, in his brilliant Amadeus, I'll close with this, about the life of Mozart. And the court musician Antonio Soleri, who may have poisoned Mozart, pictures Mozart, a young upstart impresario, lecturing to several great musical minds of his age and excitedly describing the finale of an opera in which all the sounds widen and multiply until this music is almost unbearable. And this is what he said. I bet you that's how God hears the world, millions of sounds ascending at once and mixing in his ear to become an unending music unimaginable to us. That's our job, exclaims Mozart. That's our job, we composers, to combine the inner minds of him and him and him and her and her and her, the thoughts of chambermaids and court composers, and turn the audience unto God. I've heard Bob Fuller teach this before during officer training. This is what he says. But God is already the audience. That's why we worship. We sing our hymns. We sing our new song and offer our praise and thanksgiving to the one who created us, to the one who saved us from our sins and is restoring us, to the one who made this world, the one who gives us all, Voices to sing his praises. We pray, and then we will sing. So get ready. O God, whose very name is music to the hearts of those who love you, and whose salvation causes the saints to sing and dance around your throne, we praise you for the gift of singing and music. We bow our heads in thanksgiving, O Lord, for your great salvation and for the music with which we have learned to celebrate it. Increase in us the gift for singing, for making a joyful noise, and for worship. And let your powerful name be glorified forever and ever. We pray this in the strong and saving name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.